Welcome to another episode of the CEO Lawyer Podcast. I'm your host, the one and only CEO Lawyer, Ali Awad, and today I wanna to talk to you about my journey of becoming a lawyer. So it started in Dalton, Georgia, the second most uneducated town in the entire country of the United States, and that's where I first started feeling like I wanted to do something more than just being a car audio or a wheel and tire salesman. As many of you know, I grew up selling car audio and wheels, and before I turned 18, I had already mounted, balanced, and installed over 10,000 sets of tires. Even at age seven, I re distinctly remember my first workplace injury where a used tire exploded in my face when I was airing it up on an old school Coates tire machine. That's literally how I grew up. It's almost like these stories of kids in the 1950s with the Industrial Revolution. I'm sure the Industrial Revolution was way before that, but you know what I mean. Like old school, grow up, using your hands, you go to work with your dad, you figure out how to learn the most basic skills that men need to know. You need to know the basics of mechanic work, of electrical work, of plumbing, of grouting, of laying tile, of using a hammer. Like you need to know how to use power tools. These are things that we grew up learning how to do as young kids. And so now when I get the benefit of working with my brain, I truly understand the value of not having to work with my hands and break my back every time I want to make an extra dollar for myself or for my family. So from age literally seven until about 21, I was in the automotive world. I was selling used tires at first, then we turned that into a used car lot. Obviously it was in my dad's name. And then around age 13, I opened up a car audio shop with my three brothers called Joker's Audio. And we opened up our first nice retail store in Walnut Square Mall in Dalton, Georgia. And I really remember the, the process of trying to build a name and build a brand from scratch. No one really knew what Joker's Audio was. No one really knew about my family or what we did. But consistently showing up to work every single day, 8 a.m., 10 a.m., every single morning, six days, sometimes seven days a week, that repetition for five, six, seven, ten years straight built something that I honestly could never have dreamed about when we first started. And so that was my business experience before I became an attorney. During that time, before I even got to law school, I had a bunch of different businesses that I worked with. One of them was selling electronics on eBay. So I would sell amplifiers, I would sell air purifiers, I would sell pretty much any type of electronic that I could get my hands on and sell it on eBay. Um, I got really good at selling online and I started learning the nuances of how to put the best picture up front in the profile, how to grab people's attention with the title. You know, I noticed that on Craigslist, if you put all capital letters and use up all of the space in your title, you have a much better chance of people actually clicking on it because it takes up more space on the actual posting when you go online. Then you really wanna lay out the copy of your advertisement so that people enjoy the process of reading your ad and you have that opportunity to really sell your product. When you're selling a, a commodity, like a set of tires or a set of wheels, you really have to build it up and add all this extra value to show why it's worth it for people to hire you or to buy your services, your product, instead of someone else. So I was learning this in middle school. I was learning this in high school. Another business that I started was a graphic design business. 
I remember I bought a Master XY300P vinyl plotter. It was $699.99 and it was $75 for shipping and handling. So $774.99. I, I distinctly remember that number popping up on PayPal because it was such a huge investment at the time. But it was worth it because what I did was I used this machine to basically grow the Joker's Audio brand. Every customer that would come in and buy a set of wheels or buy some tires or buy some speakers, amplifier, TVs, capacitors, whatever it was, we'd put a Joker's Audio sticker on their car. And the rule was, as long as you had a Joker's Audio sticker on your car, you had warranty on anything that you purchased from us. What I didn't realize at the time was selling online was teaching me the art of advertising. S posting these different pictures and utilizing the, you know, the all caps in my post and writing out the advertisement. This was teaching me e-commerce. Putting stickers on people's cars and giving them an incentive to keep it on there was branding and marketing. These are all the different skills that I acquired as I was working my way into college and then eventually law school. Now, when I got to college, I was flat broke. I thought that I was making a lot of money, but I really wasn't. It was a couple of bucks here and there, and honestly, when you're a teenager and you, can, you make a $500 sale or a $1,000 sale, you feel like you're the richest person in the world. Like, no one can talk to me, right? I got a stack of 20s in my pocket. You can't talk to me, you know? And that's, that was my mindset. And I, I had always had this, this sense of instant gratification. I loved being able to go into the store, find a customer, sell them something, get that money, put it in my pocket, instant gratification. Well, professionals don't really have instant gratification. Professionals spend years developing a product, developing their service, growing their business to get to a point where you can become successful and become profitable. And this was the hardest thing that I needed to learn was when I eventually started my law practice, I had to be willing to build up the pipeline for my clients and for my cases before I could get paid. But before we get into all that, I want to tell you how I got paid $20,000 to go to college in undergrad. First, there's something called the Hope Scholarship in Georgia. As long as you maintain a 3.0 or a 3.2 GPA, then you can actually have your entire tuition paid for by the Hope Scholarship. Then they had the Pell Grant. The Pell Grant is about $2,750 every semester that they pay you based on your financial need. So if you grew up broke and your parents didn't have much money, then obviously you're going to be eligible to get that Pell Grant. But for people that have wealthy parents or more well-off parents, you could actually file independently on your taxes and show that you're living in a different place, different location, different home, different domicile, so that you can show your individual income is low enough to qualify you for the Pell Grant. So that was something that I did three years into college when I moved out of my home in Dalton. So in addition to the HOPE scholarship and the Pell Grant, there's also scholarships that you can apply for. I don't know if you ever saw this kid on Shark Tank that applied. He applied for literally, I don't know, $4 million worth of scholarships and got the majority of them. Literally became a millionaire from getting scholarships. There is so much unclaimed money for college students, specifically if you're a minority. Take advantage of those. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a different story about this scholarship that I got 
Essentially, it was like a couple thousand dollars and they would only give it to you in the form of paying for your tuition or paying for your books. But because I got the Hope Scholarship and the Pell Grant, I didn't really need anything else to get paid. So I had to convince the registrar at Dalton State College to put that $2,000 directly into my checking account. Um, so that was cool. And when I got that $2,000, whoo, I was on cloud nine. It was awesome. So over the years, over those four years of undergrad, with the Hope Scholarship, the Pell Grant, and miscellaneous scholarships, I pocketed over $20,000 and got my degree, graduated, no debt, and was able to go straight into law school. I took exactly one week off between undergrad and law school. It was like July 30, 31, 2012 is when I finished undergrad because I had just completed a study abroad trip in Mexico. And then August 8th, I think, is when law school started in 2012. I literally had a week off. But what caused me to want to go to law school? Well, if I'm being completely honest, in 2011, when I was studying for the LSAT, I did not know that I wanted to be a lawyer. All I knew was that I didn't want to be stuck doing the same car audio, wheels, tires, the retail business that I had already been in for like 15 years. I wanted something different. I wanted something more professional. I wanted something commensurate with the skill set and with the mindset that I had. So I figured, hey, law school's cool, right? Three years, I get to call myself a doctor because it's a Juris Doctorate. And I have a strong GPA. I maintained a 4.0 pretty much all through undergrad. So all I needed to do was take the LSAT and that was it. And in order for me to kind of convince myself that I wouldn't lose too much opportunity, i.e. money during that process, I only applied for the part-time program at Georgia State Law School. Now, this is a little hack when you're trying to get into law school. If you apply to a school's part-time program, usually they have less stringent requirements. So you don't need to get that 170 LSAT score. You don't need to have a 3.8 plus GPA. You don't need to have all of these crazy references and letters of recommendation because they're trying to fill up their part-time program. So in applying to the part-time program, I was accepted almost immediately into Georgia State. And I remember Dr. George calling me from the uh, application office and telling me that, my application was accepted. I was accepted into Georgia State Law School. And if I wanted to, I could shift into the full-time program. Well, that would have meant that instead of four or four and a half years of going to law school and being able to still have, you know, part-time ability to work and make money, I would be spending the next three years completely immersed in law school. And it's so crazy, so intense, that you're not even allowed to work during your first year of law school. You're literally not allowed to have more than a part-time job of like 10 or 15 hours a week. So I told Dr. George, look, I really wanna stick in the part-time program because I kinda already have a lifestyle built here. I was running the Joker's Audio Shop in Kennesaw at the time. You know, I had my house, I had my friends. It was kinda like, hey, I got a good thing going. I don't wanna mess it up with law school. She said, look, if you go into the full-time program, I'll give you a scholarship. I'm like, sign me up. I'll clear up my next schedule for the next three years. I'm in, okay? So law school comes around August 8th of 2012, and I was this cocky little kid that just thought I knew everything. Keep in mind, I never had to study for anything in my life, okay? 
I was definitely that kid that had a photographic memory. Anything that I consumed in school, I memorized it, I learned it, applied it on the test, and got straight A's. I mean, I have these stories of where some of my English classes, an entire semester was spent on writing one paper. And I remember the day before the paper was due, and it was 100% of your grade. The day before the paper was due, I go into the commons at Kennesaw State University. I check in at lunch around 12, 1 o'clock. I get all this food. I sit down, start typing. And in a matter of hours, I finish a 20-page paper, submit it, and get an A in that class because I got an A on the paper. That was me. That was the type of kid that I was. I, I just didn't need to put that much effort in school. Maybe because an English degree is actually very easy, unlike biology or chemistry or you know physics, right? So when I got to law school, I thought I could just let my smarts and my brains kind of guide me through it. Uh, I wasn't for a rude awakening because that was the first time that I ever gotten B's, so many B's on my report card. I don't even think they call it a report card, they call it a transcript, right? But law school was a rude awakening. It taught me that first, being smart is not the same as being studious. The kids that actually spent time studying and keeping their nose in the books and learning all the different ways of, and it wasn't necessarily memorizing laws, it was just the process of how to structure a claim and how to make an argument. We had this IRAC method, issue, rule, application, conclusion. That was the process for analyzing any sort of legal question in law school. Well, I had never done that before. And so in my first semester of law school, I barely scraped by with a 3.0 GPA. And it was such a eye-opening moment because at that point I realized there are kids smarter than me. Like, I'm not the smartest kid anymore. I thought I was, but clearly I wasn't because there are kids that are making A's and A pluses on their exams. So the very next semester, I shaped up. I think I brought it up to like a 3.3, and my average continued to go up throughout the rest of law school. But because I didn't pay attention that first semester of law school, and I didn't really take it seriously, all of the opportunities from getting internships and paid summer jobs that 1L year were not available to me because I scored in like the 50th or 40th percentile of my class instead of in the top 10%. The first semester of law school is the most important semester because it sets the tone. That's what gives you internship opportunities. That's what shows the strength of your transcript in terms of your GPA. That's what gives you opportunities for law review, moot court, and pretty much everything else because you have to maintain a certain GPA. I didn't know that because I didn't know the law school game. In fact, I was so oblivious to the law school game that I actually paid cash out of pocket for law school the first year. It was $6,800 the first semester. And if you think about it now, like $6,800 for a semester is a really good deal. That's like the highest value. And really, Georgia State was voted the best value law school in America. And I was able to pay for it out of pocket in cash. But then when the second year of law school rolled around, that's when I realized I needed to take this seriously. I stopped going to Joker's Audio, basically had my younger brother take over that entire business. I doubled down and added my MBA during the second year of law school. And I had the highest GPA and the most amount of classes that first, that second year of law school where I finished 59 credit hours 
of business classes and law classes. And I think that would be 2013. I also got published in immigration law that year and because I was in law review uh, from New Orleans. It was another university, not Georgia State because I missed the application deadline. I actually applied to a different law review to build up my resume. So in one year, I finished 59 credit hours of business classes and law classes. I got published in immigration law and I had two different legal jobs. I had an immigration job and a business litigation job. During that entire experience, I learned that the, the running a business, like running a car audio business and selling stuff online and having graphic design business and selling cars, that was nothing like getting an MBA in school. MBAs in business school do not teach you how to become an entrepreneur. They teach you how to become a better executive for a company. And that was beneficial to me because I learned all of the terminology in business school. In my opinion, three business classes are equivalent to one law class. So if you're getting straight A's in law school, just go ahead and grab that MBA while you're in there because honestly, it looks really good on your resume. You're gonna learn some really good terminology about business, finance, accounting, data, metrics. You'll learn the difference between advertising and marketing. It's a lot of good stuff that you can learn and use for the rest of your life. So I highly recommend getting a business degree while you're in law school, especially if you do it simultaneously, uh, because I actually graduated with a JD MBA in three years. I did not have to take an extra year to get my business degree. I did it all at once. And honestly, my GPA was pretty much already shot at a low 3.0, 3.3. So it's not like adding a business degree was going to hurt it much in law school, right? Although I did have like a 4.0 in business because the business school was separate. Honestly, don't even remember. Hell, my family didn't even show up to my business degree, like gradu graduation. They just kind of like, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm graduating today. I didn't even have a, a, like a cap and gown. I went up there with a suit and just grabbed my degree and dipped out because everyone cared about the law school degree uh, and graduation. So anyway, what it takes is four years of undergraduate studies with a solid GPA. Then it takes a solid LSAT score. Then you have three years of law school. After you graduate law school, you have about six months to study for the bar exam. And then you have another three months to wait on your results for the bar exam. That, all of that got me to about November of 2015. That's when I finally got my bar exam results and I knew that I was going to work in the personal injury field. I learned that I loved personal injury around 2013, 2014, when I was going to all of these seminars for personal injury, and I saw how powerful it was to impact a family and get them a settlement for something that they deserve. And the best part about it was, you're fighting these big insurance companies and these big business goliaths. So you don't feel bad about getting that settlement. It's not like you're fighting indigent people and trying to that was the thing, I, that was the problem I had with criminal defense. It's like if I charge you $5,000 for your criminal matter, you're probably already broke and you need help. So it's weird when you're trying to sell services to broke people. State Farm's checks never bounce though. So if you got a car accident and State Farm's on the other side or Progressive or Geico or USAA or Travelers, whoever, their checks rarely bounce. If, if at all, right? So that's why it felt good. You're fighting for a good cause. You're giving money to real people that need your help. And you're, you're fighting a big 
corporate conglomerate. So it doesn't make you feel bad to really hit their pockets. Plus, eight, State Farm had something like $8 billion in profits last year. So if you think about it, they could probably afford to pay a couple of claims. Long story short, in December of 2015, I started my first job as an associate attorney. And I got this job not from all of the interviews during law school, not from going to Dubai and interviewing with an international law firm while I was in law school, not from doing those internships at the immigration firm, at the business litigation firm, working with my brother. It was from none of that. It was from emailing all of the GSU alum, the graduates from the law school, asking them if they had any cases that they wanted me to work on absolutely free, anything that was not worth their time, I wanted to come in and get that experience. And one attorney actually answered my email, met with me at 8 a.m. for coffee, and said, hey, I have this slip and fall case that's really, really complicated. It's gonna take a lot of work, but I'm willing to give it to you and we'll split the fee 50-50. Awesome, I, I got this massive file, threw it in my car and said, I'm ready to get to work. Well, in pursuing and, and interviewing the client and reviewing that file, I realized that the client had already fired another attorney on that file. So I look in the file, I contact that attorney. I said, hey, look, I'm working on this case. I wanted to get your opinion. Why did the client fire you? And that attorney told me something that I'll never forget. He said, you make more money on the cases you don't take than the cases you do take. Not all money is good money. And it made me think, well, I'm broke and I'm hungry. I will take any case that I possibly can get my hands on because I just need to work. If I'm not focused on work or doing something productive, my mind is going to go somewhere negative and I want to make sure that I stay positive and stay focused. But after working on that case for about four years and getting a big goose egg, a $0 verdict uh, and losing on summary judgment and then appealing it and losing that, I realized that not all cases are worth your time and not all clients are good for your specific practice. It's okay to have a small mix of those really, really tough oddball cases, but in order to actually survive, you do need to get paid. You do need to work on cases where you can actually make money. So that call with that attorney resulted in a few weeks later, me seeing his same name pop up requesting help for a paralegal. And I contacted the attorney and said, hey, look, I'm not a paralegal. I'm a licensed attorney and I'm willing to get to work. And he's like, oh, you're the guy that I just talked to a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, yep. He's like, well, I'm still at the office. Where are you? And I'm like, I'm literally right down the street installing some tires. What you need? Because <laughs> I was literally at Joker's Audio down the street. And he said, well, if you want to come by, we can have a chat. I drove over there, got to his office in 11 minutes. He hired me on the spot. I said, look, he, he's like, I have this massive like balloon full of cases above me and I just feel like I just need to keep poking at it for the settlement dollars to come out. Well, I learned that it wasn't exactly like that. There were, yes, there were a decent amount of cases, but this attorney was way more in the practice of law than he was in managing a business. And I had taken all of my business experience at that point and decided I'm going to apply this to my practice. So I started advertising more on social media, putting more legal advice videos out there. I remember hitting 30,000 followers on Instagram like in 2015, 2016. It was like such an awesome feeling. And 
in 2016, my first full year as an associate attorney, I brought in more cases than anyone at that firm. And I settled more of my personal cases, the cases that I brought in on my own, more than my entire salary for that year. So it made me think, if I'm bringing in the cases and I'm settling more than what the attorney is settling, and I'm working up the entire case from start to finish, and I'm getting paid a fraction of the work that I'm actually performing, why don't I just do this on my own? So I remember on February 12th, 2017, after a couple of really bad situations happening back to back to back in the firm, I sent in my resignation. Um, when I resigned, he immediately cut me off from all of the email access and everything, even though I had offered to help and you know keep clients you know, in the firm. He didn't really like it. And February 13th, 2017 is when I started my law practice. We just celebrated our five-year anniversary not too long ago. And now I've collected probably about $50 million for my clients. I have about 50 employees in my law firm, five different attorneys, and we were voted the fastest growing law firm in America. That is my journey of becoming a lawyer and now known as a CEO lawyer on social media. I hope that this story has kind of motivated you or inspired you a little bit and really understand that no matter where you are or where you come from, it doesn't matter. Your responsibility is get to where you want to be. As long as you remember that and you understand that your destiny is 100% in your control, I arm you with the knowledge that you can have whatever life you want, you just have to work for it. I'm attorney Ali Awad, the CEO lawyer. Stay tuned for our next episode where we're going to go a little bit deeper into the law and the business of law. And I'm going to bring on some crazy stories of cases that I've worked on in the past that'll tell you exactly why I have this almost divine feeling as to why I'm practicing law. I think they're going to be such entertaining stories. I'll catch you guys soon on the next show.